When you go to a restaurant, are you one of those people that consistently orders an appetizer? How many of you guys are appetizer people? Definitely. Okay, I see a few of you for sure. Matzah sticks. Come on, spring rolls. Oh, yes. Some calamari. Pro tip, okay, if you ever go to Texas, which is where Amber and I are from, if you ever go to Texas and eat in a restaurant, you do not need to order an appetizer. And that's because in every single restaurant in Texas, the waiter is going to start you out with a bowl of chips and salsa in every single meal. I mean, you could go to Olive Garden, you guys, and the server is going to show up and he's going to say, do you want spicy salsa or do you want mild salsa to go with your breadsticks? They love their chips and salsa there, and I know many of you do too as well. Now, uh, I'm not the type of person that typically orders an appetizer, and that's not because I don't like them. It's more habit than anything else. I grew up poor. I've told you guys that before, and when you grow up poor, okay, going out to eat is special enough, so dad ain't going to let you order a meal and an appetizer. Are you with me? I mean, money don't grow on trees, Daniel, okay, and so I didn't get appetizers a lot growing up, but you know, now I get them every once in a Now, here's the deal. I I recently learned something so fascinating, so interesting. I have gone 40 years in my life without knowing what an appetizer is actually for. I didn't know what an appetizer was supposed to do. See, in my mind, I always thought that an appetizer was just a small bit of food that cooked really, really quickly. So when you showed up at a restaurant and you're just famished, you're starving, they would, you would order an appetizer and they would bring it to you quickly while you waited for the big plate of food to arrive. And it would knock the edge off your hunger, right? Anybody had that understanding of an appetizer? Yeah, totally. That seems like what it's for. And it's always been helpful or healthy. I know this is why a lot of you guys order your appetizers because there is a direct correlation between how hungry you are and the amount of time it takes for food to arrive at your table at a restaurant. You with me? Like, if you're not hungry, it seems like your food arrives before you even unfold your napkin. They're always so fast when you're not that hungry. But if your stomach is gnawing on your backbone, it takes hours. You're like, are they ever gonna get here? They gotta kill the cow or what? I mean, come on. All right, so I always assume that's what an appetizer was for, to take the edge off of your hunger. It turns out that is the exact opposite thing that an appetizer is supposed to do. An appetizer is not meant to lower your appetite. An appetizer is actually meant to stimulate your appetite. It's true, it really is. I mean, that's why they call it an appetizer and not a satisfier, okay? If you don't believe me, let me show you here. We've got the definition of an appetizer on the screen. And literally the definition, I guess they teach this stuff in culinary school and you know, I didn't go there, so I don't know. A small dish of food or drink taken before a meal or the main course of a meal to stimulate one's appetite. Oh, that is crazy, it just blows my mind. You are supposed to be hungrier after you eat an appetizer than you were before you ate an appetizer. That is so wild. Now, here's what I think. I think this is how the Lord's Supper is supposed to be for us. You know, when you look at the Lord's Supper, if you're ever taking communion at church, it, it, like the portion size is way more appetizer than it is meal, right? It's a tiny little cracker, a thimble full of grape juice or wine, nothing more than that. It definitely seems like an appetizer. And yet, like an appetizer that you would get at a restaurant, I believe the true purpose of taking the Lord's Supper is that it stimulates deeper appetites inside of you. That spiritually speaking, you would be hungrier for the things of God after taking communion together than you were before. Listen, the point of communion is not that it would satisfy your physical appetite, 
but that it would stimulate your spiritual appetite. So this morning, we're going to take communion together in just a little while. It's always one of my favorite Sundays, such a special morning, and we're going to do that together. But before we do, I want to walk you through a a passage of scripture here, and I want to share with you three appetites that should be stimulated in you when you take communion this morning. Three things that you should leave desiring more than you did when you got out of bed this morning, all right? So the first one that communion should stir up inside of us is a desire for Jesus, an appetite for more of Christ in our life. Look at what 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, verse 16 says. It says, when we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? When we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? So writing about communion here, the apostle Paul says that when we partake of this little meal together, we are sharing in the death of Jesus, which admittedly is a pretty weird statement. I totally acknowledge that. But when he says sharing there, that word that's translated sharing, in Greek, it's koinonia, which is a really, um, it's a common word throughout the New Testament. And usually, it's translated as fellowship or relational intimacy, friendship around our common faith, okay? So it says that when we partake of communion together, we have koinonia, fellowship, relational intimacy with Jesus as a result of this little spiritual snack that we're taking. This appetizer has the ability to draw you closer to Jesus. And after all, you guys, Jesus is the reason that we do what we do here at Connect. I'm going to keep saying this week after week after week because I want us to be a church that is solely focused and committed to Jesus, okay? Listen, Sundays are amazing, and taking communion together is such a privilege, but it is not about the food and whether we're using juice or wine. We've done it both ways, and I get complaints every time. It's like, I can't make people happy. Did you know it was really wine in the New Testament? We should be using wine. Then you serve wine, and people are like, you know, what about people who have addiction issues? You shouldn't be. It's like, I can't win, okay? But it's not about the food. Hey, our worship team is wonderful. We got to celebrate them a little bit ago, and thank you guys for all the hard work that you put in. You are incredible, and the rest of you as well that are not serving this week, but do throughout the month. Amazing. But Sundays, are not about the worship. It's definitely not about the pastor, okay? There are many better pastors in Calgary than this guy on stage. It's not about any of that. It is all about Jesus. He is the reason that we're here. He is the reason that we're celebrating, and he is the reason that we take communion together. It is all about our Savior who would come into the world and offer his life for us so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be set free. It is all about the Messiah who would come to earth and revolutionize the way that we think about being human and living and interacting with one another because of the things that he taught. It is about celebrating a God who is so good, a father who loves us so much that he would adopt us into his family. He would give us new purpose in life and give us a hope eternal. This is why we celebrate communion and this is why we come to church. Yeah, it's great to come and see your friends and it's great to sing songs and have good coffee or eat at the food trucks that we have after the second service, not the first, sorry. Anyway, um, it's great to do all of that. It's wonderful. But can I tell you, none of it compares to Jesus. None of it is more important than Christ. Nothing that I say will transform your life, but the words of Jesus will change you forever. 
Nothing our band could sing would ever transform you. But the work of the Holy Spirit through their ministry can bring about healing and restoration and goodness. Listen, this is a small little meal. It's a stale cracker. It's some Welch's grape juice. There's nothing special about it. But the work of God, the presence of God, as we partake of this meal together, it gives us a communion with Jesus that we could not have if we did not take it together. Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount that if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, there's that, that metaphor of food, right? If we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be filled. You are not going to leave here this morning like full because of the physical food that you ate, okay? But you will actually, if you stay and you eat at the food trucks, you might be, but you will definitely leave here spiritually full. You will leave here with a deeper sense of, of intimacy, of fellowship, of koinonia with your Savior because you're taking this Lord's Supper together. I mean to tell you guys, this is a powerful, powerful morning. So if I were to ask you, do you want Jesus more than anything in your life? Do you want Jesus more than absolutely anything? There are some of you that will enthusiastically say yes, and that's awesome. Good on you. Keep it up. There are some of us that would say, well, I don't, I'm not totally sure if I want him more than anything. And there are probably some people that say like, hey, if I'm honest, I've had some appetites for other things besides God lately. And look, if that's you, I'm not here to beat you up this morning. I'm really not. I'm here to lovingly encourage you. That when you take the Lord's Supper this morning, you pray that God would use this small snack, this appetizer, to stimulate a deeper desire to know God and to experience his presence in your life every single day. It has the power to do that. Communion should give us a deeper desire for Jesus. Now, Paul goes on to say in the very next verse, 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, verse 17, he says, and though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. See, the Lord's Supper not only should increase our appetite for Jesus, but it should increase our appetite for community with one another. Community is a word that's used a lot, you know, both inside and outside of the church. You hear that used, but outside of the church in particular, when we talk about community, we're typically talking about like the location that you live in or the people that live around you. So I might say, oh, my apartment is in the community of Skyview Ranch. Anybody Skyview Ranch here? Few of you guys, what's up, neighbors? All right, yeah, but when we talk about community, that's what we mean. It's like, this is where my address is. This is the quadrant I live in, the neighborhood I live in. These are the people that also share an address around me. When we talk about community, it is typically about our geographic location. But the true meaning of community is not about your address or the people who have an address near to you. Community, at least in the biblical sense, is the people that you are united together with in purpose, in values, in faith, or, or other things as well. See, the key component of community is unity. And you, listen, uh, if you go to a community Facebook page in Calgary, you will find out there is very little unity between the people who live on the same street as one another, Okay. They're a waste of time. I'm not even kidding. Actually, I, I like to be in them because I kind of enjoy the drama. But anyway, you can be next to people and have no unity with them. 
You can live in the same community and have no unity. So biblically speaking, it's not about where you are at or who happens to be around you. It's about something much, much deeper than that. It's about who you share unity with. And that's what Paul is talking about here in in the verse, in verse number 17. We are many individuals, but we are one body in Jesus. We are one group of people, okay? We all share from the same loaf. We are eating the same bread, and we are drinking the same juice this morning. In the kingdom of God, listen, stay with me now. In the kingdom of God, men and women are equal image bearers of God. They are. In the kingdom of God, young people and old people are both inherently valuable, See, in our world, older people kind of get written off. Sometimes like, oh, well, they're past their prime, right? And they're just there and kind of waiting to run out the days. Or we look at younger people and we're like, ah, they're kids. What do they know? But in the kingdom of God, both younger people and older people are inherently valuable. They are needed in the congregation. Listen, I'm, I'm just going to put this out there and I'm not pandering. I mean this very sincerely. You can ask my wife. I talk about this all the time. I get stoked about all the kids that are up there in our kids' ministry. I mean, I am thrilled to death to see those classrooms packed out Sunday after Sunday. I am equally happy when those kids' grandparents come and sit in this auditorium. We need more senior adults in our church. We need that maturity, and we are not truly reflecting the body of Christ when we don't have every age range that's represented. In the same way that if we had a church of only women, it would be like, well, where are all the dudes? Or if we had dudes, where are all the ladies? Where are all the seniors? We need them, okay? We need to celebrate them because that's how the kingdom of God works. We are one body together. Poor people and rich people may not live in the same neighborhood, but they have the same father. Come on. There are plenty of things that separate us in the world, but in the end, we are united in Jesus and the fact that we gather together and we share a meal together that is bigger. It transcends any of the things that separate or divide or differentiate us. Man, that is something worth celebrating. This morning, even right here in the room, There are people from all kinds of different nations and tribes and tongues. Listen, we've got Nigerians and Asians and Canadians. There are even a couple of Americans that would like to have communion with you this morning, if you'll let them. I mean, we should be celebrating the fact that though we are many individuals, we are one body together in Jesus. And listen, there is nothing on planet earth, nothing on planet earth that unites such a diverse group of people than faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That should stir up inside of your soul as you take communion together and you look at people who don't look anything like you and they vote differently than you and they live in different neighborhoods than you and they have a different number of zeros in their bank account and they speak a different language. You should be like, whoa, something special is happening here today. This is worth celebrating. So I wanna speak directly for just a moment, if you'll allow me. And first, I'm gonna address those of you guys that are tuning in via our live stream. I want you to know that I am incredibly grateful that you're joining us online today. You may be online because, you know, you're traveling or, you know, you've got immune issues, perhaps, that are keeping you from being in person just yet. And I want you to keep leaning into your faith to the very best of your ability during this season. But can I also challenge you to recognize that biblically speaking, there is no such thing as virtual unity, okay? There's no such thing as virtual unity. Um, The fact that you are pursuing faith individually is a good thing, but faith is something that is meant to be pursued in community, all right? Um, So many of you didn't even know that we were taking communion, and you're like, what am I going to do? I don't have any crackers and juice at my house. I'm going to give you some alternative in, in just a moment so that you can participate virtually. But listen to me now. Bits and bites are not enough 
for your faith. Bits and bites are not enough, okay? If bits and bites were enough, then God would have sent hologram Jesus into the world, okay? He would have showed up virtually, not in the year AD 1, but he would have showed up in 2021 and he would have leveraged social media and Jesus would have had an an avatar and he would have like quote tweeted himself and all these different things, but that wasn't enough. See, the gospel was embodied. Jesus came to earth as a physical human being. Jesus was with us so that we could be united with him. And so while I genuinely celebrate you leaning into your faith right now, watching our services online, I also wanna beg you to not just cultivate a virtual faith, but to cultivate a faith that happens shoulder to shoulder with your neighbors, shoulder to shoulder with your brothers and sisters in Christ, shoulder to shoulder with people who look nothing like you and think nothing like you. This is what God has called us to. And that is what true biblical community really is. You cannot be united with the church if you're separated from the church. So lovingly, I challenge you this morning. Now, if you're sitting in the room and you're like, whoo, I'm glad I showed up this morning. I almost stayed home. Not so fast, you guys. You need to recognize that it is possible To be in one room with one another, still not be one with one another. Okay, we said a moment ago that you could live in the same neighborhood as a bunch of other people and have nothing in common with them, no fellowship, no unity whatsoever. The same thing is true here. You could be right next to somebody on a row that you have no community with, no unity whatsoever. And it would be a tragedy to think that you came to church, but then you didn't invest any in community. Community does not happen by accident or by default. Community and unity will happen at Connect Church when we hang out in the lobby and chat with one another. When you say hello to somebody that you do not know, and you get to hear a little bit of their story, that is when unity starts to happen. When we get in groups together, And we're not just here on Sundays, but it's like Saturdays we go to the mountains and go hiking, or Tuesdays we get together and we study the scripture. That is when unity will actually begin to happen at Connect Church. That's what community looks like. When we will pray for one another, when we will have conversations, lift one another up, encourage one another, challenge one another, that is the kind of unity that we've got to have. That is the sort of community that God calls us to. And listen, when we share in the Lord's Supper together, we are declaring our community and our unity with one another. Don't just think about this as like, oh, this is just me and God. It is and it's not. It is you and God and everybody else who's in the family of God partaking of this meal together, all right? So whether you're watching us online or you are here in the room, my prayer is that this little appetizer would stir up a deeper desire for community in you this morning. Now, finally, okay, and then we're actually going to take communion instead of talking about communion. uh, The Lord's Supper should increase our sense of hope. Uh, The Lord's Supper should increase our sense of hope. It should give us a deeper desire for Jesus, deeper desire for community, but it should give us a stronger sense of hope. In Luke chapter number 22, we read the story of the Last Supper when uh, Jesus took communion with the disciples. And in verse 14, we're told that when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat, to, sat down together at the table. And Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. Hey, look, I'm not gonna spend any time on this, but when you heard that we were having communion today, were you very eager? Or were you kind of like, eh, whatever? I'll get a little snack, and I'm really here for the food trucks. Jesus was eager 
to eat communion because he knew the power that was present in these elements. I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. And look what he says next. This is something we don't talk about enough. He says, for I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. We call this the last supper. We don't take the last supper, we take the Lord's supper. But this in Luke 22 was the last supper. It was the last time that Jesus had a meal with his disciples. But he points out here, it will not actually be the last time he eats this meal with his followers, okay? We jump ahead to the book of Revelation and we read there is coming a day in which we will eat this meal and it won't be me or the ushers that are serving you communion. It won't be these little pre-packaged astronaut lunchable communion elements. It is going to be be Jesus himself and his nail-scarred hands breaking bread and putting it in your hands. And he is going to be sharing the cup of wine with you in the kingdom of heaven. The book of Revelation tells us blessed are the ones who were invited to the marriage feast of the lamb. Guys, our faith and this ceremony, it doesn't just look back, it looks ahead to what is coming. We have a faith that is leading towards a good and glorious end for all things. And while you take communion every quarter or how often it is that your church might do it, okay, there is coming a day in which we are going to have this feast finally and fully. In fact, it's going to be a feast that never, ever ends. How good is that? Heaven is a never-ending buffet of the richest, best, and most satisfying foods you've ever had. Listen to what the scripture says in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 25, 6 through 9. The scripture says, and on his mountain, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with well-aged wine. Calm down, Baptists. All right, it's heaven. It's heaven. Delicious banquet with well-aged wine and choice meat. And all the men said, amen. (laughs) Then he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and his people. The Lord has spoken. In that day, the people will proclaim, this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord in whom we trusted. Let us rejoice in the salvation that he brings. You guys, you have an eternal hope. And when you eat this little meal today, this appetizer, it should stir up a a sense of anticipation and desire for the coming of the Lord Jesus, the moment that we are united together when heaven meets earth and we get to eat this meal in the fulfilled kingdom of God. That is something to look forward to. That is something to be excited about. I'm sure you have a lot of desires in your life right now, okay? You probably desire to travel. My wife has got the travel bug. She hasn't been able to travel for 18 months. She's like, I cannot wait to go see stuff. You may have a desire for travel. You probably have a a desire to be reunited with your loved ones. You haven't got to see your people in a long time because of circumstances in the world. And so, you know, you've got that desire. You may have a desire to win that second vaccine lottery. You're like, come on, give me that phone call, AHS. There are a lot of desires in the world right now. But my hope is that when we take communion together today, it is the spiritual desires for Jesus, for community, and for a sense of hope that stays with you every single day that are appetized, that are jump-started in you so that when you leave this morning, you will feel closer to God and you will feel more capable of fulfilling his will in your life.
Our ushers are going to begin to come now, and they're going to pass out uh, the communion elements to you. Uh, You'll notice once you get these that these are all prepackaged together um, so that it's all COVID safe, sanitized, all that sort of stuff, okay? So they're slowly going to be making their way down. Once you get your communion elements, I'm going to ask you to hold on to them for just a moment. We're going to read a couple of verses of scripture together, and then we're going to take communion all as one, and then the band's going to come and lead us in one final song uh, this morning. So as they're passing it out, I'm going to pray. You guys keep going. You keep passing out. It's okay. Nothing wrong with that. Um, Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this meal. It is small, but it is mighty. It has the power to draw us closer to you, to help us to experience you in tangible ways. That God, there is something physically happening and there is something spiritually happening. I pray, God, that as we partake of this together, there would be a deeper desire for your word and your presence in our life. God, make us a people that are sold out to our Savior, Jesus. God, I pray that there would be a stronger sense of community in our church, that despite all of our differences, we would partake in this one loaf together, and that, God, that would draw us closer to one another. And Father, I pray that this morning we would leave with a greater sense of hope and anticipation for the good things that you have in store for your children. And Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, they don't have that sense of hope and anticipation. I pray that God, they would cry out to you this morning. They would ask you to be their Lord and Savior and that God, they would transition from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. They would move from death to life, from loneliness to community, from fear of who you might be, God, to a genuine relationship of love based on your mercy and grace. Uh, We are looking forward to taking this meal together, God. Thank you for this privilege. And we ask it all in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.